that come on Wednesday night, and um, I think I've been telling some people, per, and just casually in passing, I've gotten into watching YouTube. Have I said that to you all before? Um, I'm, I'm like really addicted to it now, and I know it's been, it's like, how long has that been out? Like 20 years or something? And I just now find it. I know it sounds crazy, but I've been watching some podcasts, and uh, I've been noticing a man named Jordan Peterson. I don't know if anybody's familiar with him. And he was on Joe Rogan's show. I know people are familiar with him, and I'm going to caution you that I've, I hear language on that show. But um, sometimes the, the topics, they are good. And what was interesting is Jordan Peterson was talking about the, the cross on his show. Uh, he was using some language. And so I'm going to just caution you. If you go and look it up, you'll hear, you'll hear a few cuss words. I'm not going to deny that. And um, it's interesting because what he was talking about, when he started off with the children of Israel going out into the wilderness, and once they were out in the wilderness, they had a bit of safety because God started taking care of them. And while they're out there in the wilderness, though, this is what's interesting, because now they've left that life of slavery behind. They're out in the wilderness, and what Jordan Peterson said that was so true, because they were in the wilderness and they were a little bit more idle, and their needs were being met, they started bickering with each other. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Um, That's an interesting thought because the kids we work with on Wednesday night, their needs aren't being met, are they? They're still looking for rescue. And um, sometimes I think we Christians, we just miss the point. Because God gives us so much. And it's just something to think about. If you have your Bibles today, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 7. I want to talk to you and remind you it is risky to follow Christ. I'm, this is going to sound maybe a little old school to you. And, and I'm going to go ahead and confess that some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today actually just seems like Maybe it's out of touch or out of, out of time, maybe. Maybe old school, and I don't know. In fact, I'm going to say I might even use not any profanity, but language, Christian language, that we haven't talked about in a long time. And so it, because of that, sometimes it feels like people just don't connect with Christian language anymore. I don't know if anybody's experienced what I'm talking about, but... I think that that's a real thing that's going on today. And I've been doing some membership classes for the Wesleyan Church, and uh, we're doing a few right now. I'm going to have membership classes for those who are interested this Tuesday. Uh, You probably heard in announcements. And then also I'm doing some membership classes at another location on Thursdays. And when I've been going through these membership classes, I'm being reminded about what it means to be a Wesleyan and also where the Wesleyan church comes from. I think I told you all when I first got saved, my wife was going to a Wesleyan church, and honestly, I'd never heard the term in my life. I thought it was a cult. I mean, it was unreal. I was like, well, I, I told her, I said, I go to a Christian. We're, we're Christians, and I didn't understand and it's, it's, we're a denomination named after John Wesley, right? So um, what's interesting, while I'm going through these membership classes, uh, I'm reminded of something in our Wesleyan church history that 
something is pertinent to today. At one time, John Wesley was an Anglican, and he was, he's, was ordained in the Church of England. And so his goal was to Christianize Christians. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Because we have that form of godliness sometimes, but yet we're not really serving the Lord, but we sometimes will have that form of godliness. And so John Wesley, was, he was trying to preach holiness, obviously. He, he discovered holiness. And so it was interesting because he wrote this book called um, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. You can still get it today, and it, and it, was, it was about holiness. And so after the American Revolution, John Wesley ordained some ministers to come to America and begin to preach holiness. And obviously, Jesus Christ, obviously, salvation through Jesus Christ would be the key and in surrendering and being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And so when they came to America, they started doing rather well. But one of the things that started to happen was that they began to let go of the message of holiness, you know, being filled with the Spirit. And so they, they started to let go of that, and in fact, even though John Wesley, that was part of the doctrine, they, after so many years, I'd say 14 years, they actually said, we're going to drop that from our articles of religion. And even, even with um, the issue of slavery, for instance, John Wesley was against slavery, clearly. So when you can think of is the, the idea of holiness, once you, you drop the idea of holiness, then you're going to probably be willing to wink a little bit at the issue of slavery, a controversial issue of the time. And in fact, in 1850, the, the Methodist church was the largest denomination in America. This is interesting. And the problem was, because this is where we stem from, the Methodist movement, the problem was they were so large, things were going so well that they did not want to speak to the issue of slavery because it was so controversial. Now, as I say this to you, the, th the thought that occurs to me, I've said this for years, that every, the, the Holy Spirit to me it's about a movement in a lot of ways. He is a person, but when he empowers us, he, it's a movement to change the world. It's kind of the idea of what John Wesley had with the Anglican church. He wanted to Christianize the Christians, right? But here's the, here's the problem. Every time a movement becomes institutionalized, the institution becomes more important than the movement. So you can imagine people begin to have their incomes, they have influence. If you're a Methodist, you're the largest denomination in America at that time. You can imagine that they, they didn't want to lose what they had by addressing something that was controversial. And the problem is that there is always a risk when you follow Jesus Christ. The risk is you're going to offend someone. Everybody with me on that? If you speak on behalf of Jesus, you're always going to offend someone. But the problem is, 
is that humanity becomes less important and money and, and influence and prominence becomes more important than humanity is, which is contrary to the word of God. So if you are someone um, who was in the Methodist church, then the idea would be you didn't get to speak at conventions anymore if you address the issue of slavery. So they decided to keep quiet about it. They didn't want to take the risk to follow what Jesus would do. You start to see that a little bit today, really, because you and I are living in a controversial time. We are not going to say the issue of the day is slavery, but there are definitely social issues that are out there. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are someone who is going to speak truth into a situation, it becomes a bit of a risk because just say, for instance, you're a single parent who's following Jesus Christ. And if you offend the wrong person, you're the sole breadwinner in your family, and then what may happen? You may lose your job, right? There's always a risk when you follow Jesus Christ. I think of the risk on Wednesday nights because I know that I'm connected with a school corporation and I know eventually we're going to be asked something that most of the, I guess, secular world isn't going to agree with our answer, right, when we give it. And I wonder what would happen then, but the problem is I'm someone who understands the risk of following Jesus Christ. You see, when we get saved, we, we somewhat think that, well, everything's okay. It's kind of like the, you know, vote, remember um, Napoleon Dynamite, vote for Pedro, all your dreams will come true. We think when we get saved and all of our dreams come true and there's no longer any risk, which is absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. When you come into God's kingdom through Jesus Christ, you're going to be challenged. And so, our passage this morning comes from the book of John, and what's so interesting about the book of John is it's one of the later entries into the Bible because it was written good while after the other ones were written. Say, for instance, the Gospel of Mark was probably written around 50 AD. We assume John's probably 70 or even maybe 90 AD. We don't know, but we know it's a later account, and what's happened is that John, is the Apostle John, is just basically looking back over his life because he knows about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's like, you know, when we were with Jesus and he was saying some things, we didn't quite get what he was saying. But now, because in light of the resurrection, I understand what he meant now and a lot of what he said. So the goal for John was to write this gospel so that people would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so when you start looking at our passages, uh, just to get this into context for chapter 7, you start knowing that in chapter 4 and 5 and 6, you know, uh, Jesus is spending a lot of time making sure people know that he is the Son of God, that he was sent by God, and he's not here to just simply get 
glory from humanity, but he is here to glorify his heavenly Father. Because what had happened is this movement of the Jews when they were rescued, or the Hebrews at this time, when they were rescued from the hands of uh, the Pharaoh, when they went out into the desert, this movement of freedom has actually become institutionalized in Jesus' day. And so you have these leaders, these religious leaders, who are benefiting from having great wealth and influence, and they're not going to be controversial. In fact, what they're going to do, they're going to be more concerned about hanging on to their power and their influence, their money. That's what they're doing. And Jesus is the fly in the ointment, right? That's what he is. And so in chapters five and six, you start to read about this story about these miracles, or one of the miracles in particular is he healed a man who was on a mat, who was paralyzed. Or maybe you go back to chapter two, then you see the story about Jesus who turned the water into wine, and these miracles were happening. And Jesus, all through this account, is saying, you know, these miracles are being demonstrated so that you all know that I am the Son of God. Well, the Jews didn't like that because he's equating himself with God because he said he's the Son, and God is his Father. But that's who he is, right? And so, in chapter 6, this is interesting too. He finally has a, a large following, right? And we talk about this, I try to work this in as often as I can. Because he has this large following who is following him around. And I'm telling you, things are looking good. There was even talk about forcibly making Jesus the king of Israel. Just doing it. Let's make him king. He even had to hide himself. And so they're following him along and he's feeding them, just like in Exodus, bread from heaven. He's giving them the manna. And so their bellies are getting full. I mean, they're just, they're, they're just having their physical needs met. And basically what Jesus is saying is the only reason you're with me is because I'm feeding you something to eat. So then Jesus turns around and starts telling them stuff. He says, you know what? If you want to have any part of me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. Well, we know he's talking about communion, right? So nobody thinks we're cannibals. But that's what he says to them. In fact, he says it three times. And then what happens is all the people said, that's a bit too far. I think we're going to go on. Our bellies are full anyway. Let's just go on home. And so they all take off and desert Jesus, except for at least the 11, the 12, actually. And Peter says, I'm not going anywhere. You'll, you can read it for yourself. I'm, you have the words of eternal life, Jesus. Where else would I go? And that brings us right where we're at. So Jesus is very controversial, and it's becoming risky to follow him because they deserted him because something isn't right with him when he says something like that. If you follow Jesus, then you must be crazy like him too, right? Let's look at what chapter 7 says. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13, and it says this. After this, 
Jesus went around in Galilee, he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there were Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Stop right there. So the first thing I want you to see this morning, it is risky to follow Jesus Christ because worldly minds are indifferent to who he is. So you have this idea or this truth that John's telling. We know that Jesus' brother or brothers, however it actually was, um, there's a little debate on that, but however it was, uh, his brother knew that Jesus could do miracles, but he was indifferent to him. His brother had seen him probably in I'm going to say, since his mother was there, it was probably a family function, the wedding at Canaan, when Jesus turned the water into wine, his brother had seen that. His brother was well aware of the other miracles that he had done, especially with the man who was uh, lame, was able to walk again. So his brother's well aware that Jesus has these miracles and is doing these miracles, but he's indifferent to who Jesus is. It would be much like you and I today where we might think to ourselves, well, we're talking about Jesus or we're trying to do things that Jesus would do, but yet the world doesn't care what we do, do they? They're indifferent to Jesus. I mean, you think back to about 30 years ago, before I became a Christian, I know the world was a lot different. In fact, the world revered Jesus Christ. If you said Anything about Jesus, it would just seem like all of a sudden a hush would come over people because they had respect for Jesus Christ. But now the world is indifferent to Jesus. And in fact, when I say indifferent, they care nothing good or bad for Jesus. I'm going to say that this is literally what the brothers are doing. Even though Jesus had been teaching all along, he said, look, these miracles I do, they are so that you will know that I am from the one who sent me, my heavenly father. But the brother doesn't seem to care. And you know he had to hear all, all the time he was growing up. I'm sure Mary, who obviously the angel came and spoke to and said, Mary, you know what? You're going to have a child. This child is from God. 
the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You remember that story, right? You know the brother heard this in the household, but the brother's indifferent to Jesus. You see, when people don't care about Jesus, and they don't care about him to the extent that it means nothing to them whether he's here or not, what you'll find is the birth of, a, of someone who is actually against Jesus Christ. Because his brother certainly didn't care if Jesus became a public person. He was giving him a little slight there, wasn't he? Jesus, you just want to be so popular. Why don't you go do your miracles so that everybody can see you? Then you can get what you always wanted. And remember what Jesus had been saying all throughout John. He's like, look, I'm not here for, to get glory from man. I am here to glorify my Father by doing the works that I'm doing for you. I'm going to tell you something. It's risky for you and I today because people are so indifferent to Jesus. If you say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, they're going to think something's wrong with you. And I'm going to say this too. Sometimes... We Christians demonstrate that really what all we really want is that we want the world to be impressed with who we are. Have you noticed a trend in the American church lately? We're less concerned about glorifying our Heavenly Father and more concerned about getting the world to think that we're okay with them than any other time that I can imagine or remember in my life. That tells me we've decided the risk was too great and we would find it to become, we're a little more safe to be indifferent to Jesus' teachings now. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. It is risky to follow Jesus Christ because the world hates him. I've said this in the, I've been trying to intentionally work this in periodically since this pandemic started. Because it's in the Bible, right? It's, you read what I read, and what Jesus is telling his brother who's indifferent to him, and he's saying, look, he goes, you know what? The world hates me. The world doesn't hate you because you are a product of the world you don't care about what's going on. You see the miracles. You ignore them on a daily basis. You don't care who I am. Clearly, that's something that you're not worried about. But you're part of the world, so because you're part of the world, the world doesn't hate you. You can go to the festival. The world is not out to kill you because we know what John said. John said the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill Jesus Christ. That's what it says. And he says, the world hates me because I testify against the world that its works are evil. And so what he's saying when he says that is that the world is seriously counter to everything that God tries to do. God is for humanity, but the world is trying to hurt humanity on a, almost on a daily basis, if not a daily basis. And he says, here's the evidence, and he's saying, because he has healed somebody, if you read on further down, because he healed the man who was paralyzed at this pool. Do you remember the story? 
the guy was laying on a mat by the pool, and he could, every time the water would move, they would think the angel was stirring the water, and that felt, they thought, well, first one that can get into the water gets healed, right? Sounds like last one ends a rotten egg. Um, the paralytic guy, I mean, he's just, he's laying right next to this pool, and he can't get himself in there. Notice how Jesus comes to him, though, right? Y'all pick up on that? But he, he cannot get himself in there, and Jesus basically says, look, I'm just, I'm, I'm speeding along here, okay? This isn't word for word, but he's like, look, you're healed. Now get up and take your mat and go. Now this is interesting because when he says that, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders are like, he told that man to pick his mat up and go. He has broken the Sabbath. He has broken the Sabbath. And the irony of this I'm just trying to get you to understand the world's agenda here. The world hates Jesus. The irony of it is, is that because those Jewish leaders are more concerned about following the law, they're actually using the law as a tool to oppress human beings. And Jesus is telling them, you talk about controversy, Jesus is like, this very law that you're using to try to find a reason to condemn me or anyone else, this law was given to humanity so that humanity would understand that God values humanity. And if they understood that God values humanity, then humanity's going to more than likely start valuing other people other than themselves. But the fact that I told this man he was healed, you didn't care about this, you were more concerned about the fact that I told him to pick his mat up because then you wanted to oppress me or anyone else with this law that my heavenly father gave you. You've twisted it around. And because I did this, you want to kill me. The world hates me. You see, this is where the risk is, isn't it? Jesus couldn't go publicly to the Feast of Tabernacles because he was doing good to human beings and the problem was they, the people of the world are more concerned about oppressing other people. You can kind of see a little bit what I was saying about the Methodists, right? They were more concerned to just make their money, I would say, and have their influence than seriously try to help another human being. You almost get into that idea that they were hating Jesus. You're probably thinking, but how, how, how would they hate Jesus? They weren't doing anything in particular for him. You know, when you um, don't do anything for Jesus on his behalf, it's the same thing. If you're doing evil, you're against God. It's really that simple. If you are doing what the world would do, then you're doing evil, and Jesus' testimony is against you. <laughs> you see, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to assume risk. And the risk is that if you're doing what Jesus would do, the world's going to hate you. You know, we get to this mindset that we don't think that anything, remember what I said? We think if we vote for Pedro, right? 
all of our dreams are going to come true. We think because we came to Jesus, now everything should be pie in the sky for us, when in fact what's happening, Jesus is going to intentionally put you and I into positions for the world to hate us. He's doing it on purpose. Because if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, then we're going to be more concerned about giving God his glory through Jesus Christ and doing what he says than we are about trying to make ourselves famous or likable by other people. (laughs) It's risky, isn't it? I don't know about you. I like people to like me. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm more concerned that Jesus is pleased with me. That's just the way it is. Because the risk, I've weighed the risk. I am going to say, I want Jesus to be pleased with me more than I do people. And I would assume that's where you're at. Look at the last thing I want you to see. This is really the reason why I wanted to preach this part. It is risky to follow Jesus Christ because leaders created a fear of talking about him. That's quite a statement. And that, you know, when I think of the book of Hebrews, what always stands out to me about Jesus Christ is we don't have a God who doesn't know what you and I go through. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews is always saying. He says, you know, this this God, this Jesus Christ, this one whom we who saved us and we serve, he has gone through everything that you and I have ever gone through or ever will. He's experienced everything that you've experienced. Everything. Even to the point of people hating him and being indifferent to him. And just people, even to the point where somebody like Judas doesn't want to continue with the risk with Jesus, does he? Where he gets betrayed by one of his best friends. So that he gets murdered, right? But what's more impressive to me about this scripture right now is how it relates to us today. Because in this scripture, what you saw was the description of this crowd, which symbolizes the world. And within this crowd, you have these people within this crowd. Every time you read the gospel, you got to understand what's going on. Within the crowd, Everybody looks the same. Everybody has the same physical needs. Everybody generally has the same emotional needs and spiritual needs. But within this crowd, there are people who are indifferent to Jesus. We would call them observers. They're always watching Jesus. They're They're not really getting serious about Jesus. They're just watching Jesus. They they don't want any of the controversy. They don't want to assume the risk. But then you also have these people who are like the disciples, right? They are participants. They work with Jesus. They do the things that they see Jesus do. They they, they try to duplicate those things intentionally. They've said because, like Peter said, when everybody deserted him, I've weighed the risk. And what I know is, is that it's more important that I find myself wanting to please my God than being more concerned about pleasing the world, right? They've got this. And then you also have in the crowd, you'll have people who are what we might call consumers. You know, I'll tell you something. I've said this in the past. As a pastor, I can't help it but tell you the truth. I can tell a lot about our spiritual development by the way we ask for prayer requests a lot of times. 
Usually when people want me to pray for something, it's because they want something from God. Does that not sound familiar? Instead of us doing something on God's behalf that he would have us do, right? Like when Jesus says, you know, this then is how you should pray. Not my will be done, but your will be done, right? So we're always wanting something done on our behalf. But this is interesting because those people that deserted Jesus, they were just consumers of Jesus, right? Give me the food, Jesus. Fill my belly up. That's impressive miracle. Until he said, if you want any part of me, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. But what's interesting is this is going on at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that's what they're doing. In the crowd, John alerts us that there are people saying, some were saying Jesus is a good man. Others were saying he is a deceiver. (laughs) Did you see what it said after that? But they were all scared to publicly talk about him for fear of the leaders. I've thought a lot about this for a while and this is where the old language that I told you might seem out of date is going to come in. But I want you to know something. The controversial thing that you and I have to deal with today is censorship. <laughs> Immediately somebody thinks I'm talking about politics. I know it. This is not politics. See, what's going on here is, are you going to talk on behalf of Jesus? Are you going to tell people the truth in spite of the risk of losing your job? See, that's what every one of us is going to have to wrestle with. Are you willing to tell people the truth even though if you tell them the truth, they're going to immediately hate you and possibly turn you in for hate speech. When I was a kid, I think I've told you this before. For some reason, my, my neighbors, I assume this is where I got it from, had it to where I understood that um, a day may come that I have to say, I am a follower of Jesus or I love Jesus when nobody else will and what they would tell me, it was, this is how they would explain it. This is, I don't know that this is true 100%. Okay, I think that you still have to have a changed heart. But understand what I'm saying. They'd say, if you die for Jesus, you'll go to heaven immediately. You, it's an instant ticket to heaven. And so I used to be terrified of this water, this river that our bridge would go over this river in our town. And I, my mom used to tell me, don't ever go by that river, Scotty. Um, there's whirlpools in there. Remember, does anybody remember Land of the Lost? That show terrified me on Saturday mornings because it was a whirlpool. And Mama just, she just had me scared of water. I'm going to tell you something. And I remember thinking, though, when I was going across that river bridge, I thought, boy, if, I, if the Lord told me the only way, I'm probably five years old, though. If he said the only way for me to go to heaven is if I would jump in that water and allow myself to drown. Now, I know it sounds crazy. Don't do this. This is just a young kid. But I I remember thinking like that. That's so crazy, isn't it? But I'm going to tell you something. This censorship 
that you and I have to struggle with, I would say it's the forerunner to the mark of the beast. I wish I knew what you all were thinking right now. Because you're either thinking, he's cuckoo. Or, oh my goodness, I think he's right. Or maybe you're just saying, I don't know, I have to think about that a little bit. But when you're told you can't speak on behalf of Jesus, when you stop doing this, this is when we get into stuff like in Revelation when they say, when Jesus is challenging the churches, don't you stop. It may cost you your life, but don't you stop. You're being tested right now. You know what's happening? I'm going to move off this, but I'm going to tell you, just like in chapter 6, when they deserted Jesus because he said what he said, I'm going to tell you the chaff was blown away. I'm going to write a book that nobody will ever read. The title's going to be Reinstating the Narrow Road in the American Church Again. This is not the time for us to be quiet. This is not the time for us to look for an opportunity to avoid controversy. This is the time for you and I that we have to weigh our options and understand that even though it's such a great risk, we have to commit to following Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, this is when the chaff gets blown away. You might be somebody this morning that just simply thinks that there's no risk. It's, we always talk about security in Christianity. This is what our big thing is, just security, security, security. I'm going to tell you something, that if Scripture says the student is not greater than the teacher, that means that Jesus is the teacher. You see what he's going through. Why would you and I think that we're not going to go through that too? There has to be a risk to follow Jesus Christ. There has to be some type of controversial issue that Jesus is going to use to see whether or not you will wholeheartedly follow him or if you have a divided heart with the world. If you try to be indifferent to Jesus, that makes you a non-believer. That makes you of the world, and the world hates Jesus, and that's just the way it is. If you are somebody who's indifferent to this, then I'm going to tell you something. You may not have a renewed mind. If you're somebody this morning that thinks that it's awful tough for me to say that the world hates us because we follow Jesus, and you are buying into this idea that the church has to be popular with the secular world, can I tell you something? You're being fooled. The church will never be accepted by the secular, at least not the real church. The secular world doesn't love you, does not love Jesus Christ. It loves to oppress human beings. That's what it loves. And Jesus testifies against it because the world does evil. Doing evil means that you're doing something harmful to others. That's what it means. If you're someone this morning 
that thinks I'm being foolish by talking about the mark of the beast or censorship or any of that, and you think that I'm just talking politics, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. I want you to know something. I'm talking about what Scripture just said to us. Why wouldn't it be hard to talk about Jesus? If you love Jesus Christ this morning, you'll sign on and assume the risk. But if you don't love Jesus Christ, you're going to let the risk outweigh your opportunity for eternal life. That's how that goes. If I'm wrong, then I'm going to say that 90% of the Bible is wrong then. Because it's all through Scripture. So when I think of the mark of the beast, I'm not thinking in terms of something that, like a shot or mark or something. I'm thinking in terms of me being quiet and not speaking truth so that I can take care of my family. Because that's where the real test is. <laughs> I wish I knew what everybody was thinking this morning. But I will say this to you. The church in America needs to be reminded of this stuff because I'm going to say most of the American church is going the way of the early Methodists where we have become institutionalized and we no longer want to talk about anything controversial because we only care about ourselves. And if that's true this morning, God help us. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where you're at this morning. I know this. It's risky to follow Jesus Christ. It is time that God's people start getting very honest about the risk and saying, I assume it, Lord, because I know you will take care of me. And if I'm not taken care of in this lifetime, you will take care of me in the life to come. This is not our home. Now, what we sang? This government that we live under in the world, not America or anything, the worldly type of government, this is not our native government. Jesus Christ is. If you haven't made a confession to the Lord, if you haven't received Jesus Christ, this is the moment that you do. If you haven't totally surrendered to him, this is the moment that you do. You're not going to escape risk. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We're so grateful, Lord, for your word. Lord, your word is truth. There's nothing like it. Your word is the final authority, Lord. And Father, this morning, I pray that if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that's struggling with anything I have said, Lord, would the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts this morning? Would you reveal your truth from your word to them, Lord? Let them read it for themselves. 
You're the sole winner, Lord. There's no other. You're the one. All we do is plant and water seed, Lord, but you are the Lord of the harvest. And I pray, Father, this morning that you are having your way with us. Help us to be found faithful, Lord, even in times of controversy, in times of great risk. Help us, Lord, your people, to be found faithful. Father, I pray that you go with us now and help us to be mindful about what we've heard this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. God's people said, amen.